This is Off Zero, brought to you by LearnBitcoin.io. Okay. Welcome to Off Zero, the new podcast from the team at LearnBitcoin.io, where any topic is welcome as long as it's Bitcoin. I'm your host, Keith Laska. Learn Bitcoin is the easiest way for individuals and companies to learn about Bitcoin. It includes continuing education credits for CFPs and IWIs and access to a Discord community to meet and connect with fellow Bitcoiners. You can check out more at learnbitcoin.io. Today, I'm joined by Fred Kruger, who describes himself as a Bitcoin quasi-maxi and has taken the Bitcoin world by storm with his exciting views on the inevitable ETFs. Fred earned his PhD in mathematics from Stanford and has enjoyed 10 non-crypto exits as a serial investor. Fred, warm welcome to the pod. Well, thank you, Keith. Great to have you. And, uh, of course, we donate to a charity of the guest choice, uh, and you have chosen the Integro Foundation, uh, which your friend Brock Pierce is a uh, a big part of, and that goes towards rebuilding Puerto Rico following the devastation of the hurricane. So thank you very much for your donation. We appreciate that, and we'll make that right after this pod for you. Great. Thanks. Cool. So uh, tell us about yourself. I would love to – you know, i, I got to be honest with you. Yeah. I um, – I did not see much of you, uh, yeah. and then over the past couple of months, you just exploded onto the scene, and you're on every podcast, and I'm following <laughs> every single tweet that you make. Uh, where'd you come from? Tell us, tell us about yourself. Well, I, I kind of come from a very odd intersection of three areas, right? So I would say academia is, is sort of my first thing. I have a PhD in math. I've, uh, my PhD actually was taught for two years at Stanford. Um, and uh, and I've you know studied a lot of this you know the hard math that even goes into Bitcoin. Yep. So a little little aside, the concept of proof of work was actually invented by a friend of mine. Oh wow! Cynthia Cynthia Dwork invented it. She was a math mathematician and she was at IBM Research, and she came up with it in the early '90s as a way to combat email spam. Then uh, Adam Back uh, reused the same concept in uh, uh, his 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 sort of pre Bitcoin, you know, hash uh, graph, hash 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 cash, hash, yeah. hash cash yeah, yep, yep. And uh, so proof of work started, you know, from a completely different direction, and uh, it's interesting because you know I still talk to Cynthia. She's a professor at Harvard now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting where, where all this stuff went. So that's one part, which is the academic side, right? The second part is I spent six, seven years in the prop desk on Wall Street. So I was part of Solomon Brothers sort of liar's poker, uh, you know, uh, bond arbitrage desk. And then after that, I went to another equally prestigious desk at Greenwich Capital. Sure. Um, uh, so... I spent six years on Wall Street, and I did a ton of securitization and and uh, capital markets things, and so I know that world as well. At least, at least where it was, kind of you know pre kind of great financial crisis. And then the third thing is, I'm an entrepreneur. I've been in tech for ages, and I discovered Bitcoin pretty early. Uh, didn't take it seriously. Uh, 
you know, my friend Brock Pierce, I remember he, he was, uh, you know, chairman of the Bitcoin Foundation and, you know, discovered it. I remember sitting down with him for a pizza in 2013 and I'm like, what are you going to do now? And he's like, Bitcoin. And I'm like, buy Bitcoin or invest in Bitcoin? And he goes, yeah, all of the above. And, <laughs> and I go, you're going to invest in Bitcoin companies? Do they even exist? <laughs> so I was very skeptical. And uh, you know, uh, later in 2017, I kind of saw the light. And I really saw the light in 2019. Hmm. Um, so I got, I got very serious and I sort of said, you know, I got I to gotta put some serious money into Bitcoin 2019. So well, what, what made you see the light in, in, like, what was ah, the process? Yeah. It was a, a, a meeting. Okay. So I was invited, I was invited to um, a seminar on blockchain, a very sort of intimate group of people, uh, where Tom Lee from Fundstrat was present and we were in uh, Bermuda for three days just about 20 of us you know um, some people from Galaxy were there I was kind of invited and a few other people and so I got to hang out with Tom for you know for about three days and uh, and I'm you know Bitcoin's trading at 5,000 and I, I said Tom where do you think where do you see it going he's like a million I'm like <laughs> 5,000 a million and he goes yeah and uh, he walked me through. He said, look, the, the main determinant of asset growth is demographics. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of you have the great generation. It was gold. You know, they were they loved gold because they were children of the Depression. The next generation uh, was the boomers, which I'm on the sort of cusp of a boomer. And uh, that was S&P 500. Right. And then the next generation was Gen X. They didn't want the. They don't want to buy uh, ExxonMobil, but they want to buy tech stocks, Google, yep. Facebook, et cetera, right? The next generation, they don't really want to buy stocks. You know, They want to buy something new. They want to have it fit in their wallet. They want to, in their mobile phone. They don't want to talk to a broker. That generation is the millennials, and they're now the biggest generation, and they're going to have all the wealth. So if you just follow the demographics... Um, it's very clear that Bitcoin is the asset of choice for millennials. It has all those characteristics, and uh, and you know, and I just it just hit me, and I was like, oh, "You're right. <laughs> you are absolutely right." You know, in, in the same way that you know, gold no longer speaks at all to to most of these generations, where it still speaks to some boomers and some great generation people, the few who are still alive. You know, Bitcoin really is a it's primarily a, uh, you know, the early movers were, are all millennials, right? The, mm-hmm. the early holders are all millennials. And, then, you know, I feel like I'm lucky enough to kind of have seen that at an early stage. So, uh, so, yeah, you, so you, yeah. you got the alpha uh, in Bermuda and now... I got the alpha you've... in Bermuda and then I, yeah. you know, that sort of stuck with me. And then, you know, I... Uh, you know, I, I've been pretty fortunate over the last, you know, couple of years and, and have, have, you know, I've gotten a very comfortable position in Bitcoin. So I can do what I want. I don't need to do anything. But I do kind of feel the need to a little bit give back and, and help the Bitcoin thing. So yep. in 2021, kind of when um, El Salvador was going to, you know, legalize Bitcoin, uh, 
you know, I was invited with a bunch of people to come down and talk to them. And so, you know, I seized the chance, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, I'd, I'm coming down. You know? mm-hmm. I want to see this thing firsthand. And so I've been there twice. Uh, my, one of my close friends and partners has been there three times. And, you know, so, you know, part of it is educational. Part of it is, uh, you know, I, I do think that Bitcoin is going to grow tremendously in the, in the outside of the U.S. Uh, mm. But now we have this ETF that's coming, right? Which yeah, I think... And this is the interesting thing. I, I was reading up and right. watching a couple of your your podcasts, and, and mm-hmm. you talked about something that I think, look, look, we're all happy that we front-ran kind of the, the big ETF applicants. Um, and a lot of people talk about that. But y- you really spoke in detail about the financialization of Bitcoin, the securitization or financialization of Bitcoin, and that you know now institutional money, very large money is kind of wrapping itself around this emergent asset class. Can Correct. you walk us through other examples yeah, uh, in so, history? That would be super well, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and this is something that, you know, people on Wall Street understand very well, but Bitcoiners don't, right? So, you know, you have to go back to really the Vanguard index fund, right? So before indexing, you had stock picking and everybody would sort of pick stocks and you'd have your broker and they'd give you a hot tip and you'd pick stocks. And then, you know, uh, uh, Bogle had created the Vanguard Index Fund and the whole concept of indexing became very popular. Right? So people would just buy the S&P 500 and just hold it. Now, the question is, how much of your portfolio did you have in the S&P 500? And then how much did you have in bonds? Right? That, that used to be the, the way. But this this concept of the basket portfolio index fund of stocks was was really huge, you know, even through the mid-'80s, right? And then after the, the stock was fully understood and felt people started trading these things in baskets, um, Solomon Brothers and First Boston decided to um, – came up with a way to collateralize mortgages, right? So there was all these mortgages out there. And uh, they weren't they weren't kind of integrated in with the the fabric of Wall Street at all, and so they were they were securitized they were guaranteed by Ginny May, uh, Fannie Mae, and Freddie Mac, which are government agencies, right? So the government put them in pools and guaranteed those pools as a way to stimulate mortgage demand. But having a pool of mortgages wasn't ideal for uh, a bond investor. So uh, Lou Ranieri and Larry Fink kind of jointly came up with this idea of packaging these things into uh, vehicles, into trusts effectively, which had uh, the cash flows were partitioned off into different classes. So you'd have the first tranche would be the A tranche, and that would, as cash flow would come in, it would pay off the A tranche. The A tranche would last a couple years. Mm -hmm. So that would be a perfect analogy, right? Mm-hmm. To like a, a, a treasury, maybe even a treasury bill, right? Then the B trumps would be more of a treasury note, right? So that would be more like a 10-year note. And then you'd have to have this other thing that kind of captured everything else, and that was the residual. So people would speculate on residuals. Now, this, hap- this was invented in 1983, right? 
I joined Solomon in 1986, so six years, uh, three years later, right? And uh, and I was on the arbitrage desk. I, you know, I was trading a ton of stuff. I didn't trade mortgages then, but you know, this was the, you know, I saw this this securitization happen, and Larry Fink left First Boston in 1988 to start BlackRock, and uh, <laughs> hired hired me oh, for a right. day. You worked I, for Larry I, Fink, all right. For one day. One day. <laughs> for one day. And uh, and uh, John Mary, this is a kind of funny story, but John Merriweather, my boss at Solomon, it was sort of, I was making this transition between kind of a conehead researcher and trader at Solomon. And uh, li, li, uh, John Merriweather said, no, 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 Fred, you're not, you're not joining this BlackRock thing. You're coming with me. We're going to go drink in New York City. And we spent the whole night at a bunch of Irish bars that he owned. And he said, you can trade anything you want at Solomon Brothers, whatever you want. Red, you know, I was just sort of the hot young trader at that time and come up with some really clever way to make the firm a ton of money in the capital markets desk. And so he said, whatever you want. So I said, great. I'm going to, you know, I just want to, I just want to trade prop, prop trading in Canada, Australia, foreign exchange and said great don't you do what you want so i left blackrock and they were very they were kind of <laughs> devastated it was a, a 30 or 40 person startup this larry still the, return your calls or no uh well i that was it that, that was my larry fink moment yeah uh you know that was like 30 40 years ago i mean it was you know insane right so that was mm. 1988 mm. 35 years ago so um so yeah, so that's the the progression. Now, after that, there was the secured, and obviously the mortgages turned out to be an enormous thing, right? And oh, that, yeah. that evolved into everything leading up to like the Big Short, right? Yeah, of course. I was just going to say this reminds me of watching the Big Short. Uh, well, which is also written by Michael Lewis, who was at Solomon Brothers, who I know. Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay, so this is all my era, right? Yep. Uh, the Big Short is written afterwards, right? But I mean the. This stuff. So, so after the securitization of mortgages, the next one that I've sort of covered a little bit is the securitization of real estate. Mm-hmm. And again, right? So there's real estate's this enormous asset class, but hard to believe that basically in 1986, nobody on Wall Street wanted to touch real estate. It was not an asset that anybody. In the same right now with Bitcoin. Nobody wanted to touch real estate. And the reason mm-hmm. is nobody had packaged this up into an asset that traditional investors could buy. Except there was one guy who figured it out. And it was a Chicago uh, real estate investor named Sam Zell. And uh, if you want to read about Sam, Sam was a, re- was a really or- ornery kind of character. He wrote this book called Am I Being Too Subtle? <laughs> which, which tells you everything there is to know about Sam Zell. But, uh, you know, Sam ended up selling um, his uh, REIT company, uh, Equity Office, uh, to uh, Blackstone for uh, $20 billion in uh, 2007. Largest you know, real estate transaction ever. And in 2007, I mean, we're talking like, that's pretty fortuitous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
pretty unbelievable timing from Mr. Zell, actually. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, he did, that wasn't his only public REIT. He had uh, equity uh, EQR as well. I owned all these, these REITs as well. Hmm. And he had another one with manufactured uh, housing. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, it tells you, like, if you think people can't buy Bitcoin, Wall Street was sold packaged manufacturing trailer parks. Hmm. And it did fantastically well, right? So Wall Street is incredibly smart at securitizing things mm-hmm. once you pass the regulatory thing. So, And you, know, you, think, ton- you think Bitcoin with the ETFs is, is next? This is the next big... Mm-hmm. Well, 100%, right? Yeah. Now, Wall Street, are, they're very devious, right? So, you know, it's, it's like it's not going to be pure Bitcoin. You know, it'll start out pure Bitcoin. But in the same way that, you know, we started out with, you know, whole loans, going to Ginny Mays, going to CMOs, going to CDOs, going to, you know, things that collapsed Bear Stearns and Shearson, uh, you know, in 2008, we're going to get Bitcoin derivatives, you know, Bitcoin mm. yield funds, uh, mm-hmm. the Goldman Sachs uh, Bitcoin Advantage Fund. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it's just. These things just get, it's like entropy, right? We just get more and more and more complicated. So this is inevitable, but the key thing is, you know, this this opens up the, uh, it opens up the door for mainstream investors to buy Bitcoin. Yes. And that is such a big deal. Like, you know, as I'm sure you too have been, you know, trying to orange pill people. Mm-hmm. And it works great for young people, right? They're, you know, got a couple thousand bucks and whatever. You say, buy some Bitcoin, go to Coinbase, do this. Put it on a, you know, put it on a uh, non-custodial wallet, get a lightning wallet, all that. That all works great. Doesn't work so good for people 50 years old and above. You need you know? to, age is almost directly proportional to the amount of time you have to spend um, with with people, I right. find. I could speak to a millennial today. And they'll open up, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll download Coinbase, they'll open up, you know, wallet, buy, you know, smash buy instantly. Um, right. w- with somebody who's 50, it might take 40 to 50 minutes on a call to walk through, you know, principles of it's hard not money. Only the, yeah, it's also just the, when you're dealing with, you know, larger amounts of money, people get really, they get really uh, set in their ways, right? They have, mm-hmm. they have one or two or three brokerage accounts. They don't really move money around, but these brokers' accounts, they don't really want to move money to a startup called Coinbase, you know. That's mm. the way they, they perceive it, you know, mm. uh, let alone a start, startup called Kraken or yeah, yeah. Gemini or, you know. Like, this is all just it's scary, you know, for, yeah. for an investor. Interactive and, brokers, Fidelity, yeah, right? Like they, exactly. They want, Ameritrade, yeah. Schwab, yeah. E-Trade, you know. Yeah. Or, you know, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, you know. And mm-hmm. that's just the retail side, right? And then you have the institution side, which is, you know, all the kind of retirement accounts and uh, insurance companies. And, yeah, like, insurance, you'd think an insurance company would want to own Bitcoin, right? You're, yeah. It's the greatest long-term asset track record of any asset. So oh, they're didn't, in the... Didn't Mass Mutual buy, I think it was a couple of years ago, in 2021, bought $100 million dollars yeah. in bitcoin i mean that's well there there is yeah there's some fireman's fund out of chicago that bought some for their retirement the, you know there's a few right mm-hmm. but you know 
it's so much easier if they're buying the BlackRock ETF. Totally. It's just, totally. It, you know, it's not a little bit easier. It's a hundred times easier. So, so let me ask you this question. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm speaking to financial advisors, wealth managers all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's an uphill battle, right? You're, you're trying to explain the, the virtues and the merits of Bitcoin. And I do find when I talk about the ETF, they're like, oh, well, if, if, I, if it's an ETF, you know, yeah. so maybe I'll suggest 1% to 3%. How long after the ETFs are approved do you think it will take for that message to get down to financial advisors that, you know, to start pushing 1%, 1.5%, 1. 2% of somebody's portfolio in, in the Bitcoin ETF? Well, I think we have some data, right? So look, if you look at the gold ETF, Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, that that's another one that came after the real estate one was, yep. you know, the gold ETF. And I was involved in gold. I was trading a lot of, you know, gold stocks at the time. And uh, and I had gold. I, I purchased gold bars myself in 2002. And uh, and then, you know, 2004, they they launched the gold ETF. And, you know, it was still it was kind of an uphill battle, like telling people that they should buy a gold ETF, you know, because mm. what kind of interest rate does it give? None, zero, mm. negative, you know. Uh, what are the earnings? No, there are no earnings, you know. So you say <laughs> I'm supposed to park money into this brick, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and so they, they weren't too receptive, okay. But, you know, it started somewhat slowly, but, you know, it quad, the price of gold quadrupled in 2004. Mm-hmm. Quadrupled. Now, mm. I I think you can remember. I don't remember 2004 as being a highly inflationary period. You know, there was there was no inflation. Right? It was just like the access op- accessibility. Yeah, but I'm saying that there's no reason. Yeah, that, that gold should have you know screamed higher as a hedge to inflation. Right, and, mm. and nor even was this this money printer go burr stuff. There was a little bit of it, but not between not before. 2008, right? Mm. You know, mm. so the home prices were going up and people were sort of worried that they wouldn't be able to keep up with the rising home prices in their investments. But, you know, gold gold really went up because of that ETF. Yeah. So, you know, and it and it went up and it quadrupled, right? And gold was at 1600 in 2011. Yeah. Okay. And what and, and so that's that's a four x, right? It was around four hundred, yeah. if I remember trading around in two thousand four. Yeah. Four fifty, yeah. yeah. And do you remember? Was there a lot of volatility when the ETF was first approved in in both directions, or not really? No, it wasn't that much mm. volatility. It it was kind of a grind up. Okay, it mm. just gra- ground its way up. Um, so, what do I think? How long is it going to take? I think it's a process, but I think. Um, I think what we're going to see in Bitcoin is, first of all, we're going to see some fresh, real fresh new money come into Bitcoin that hasn't come in in a very long time. Right? Mm-hmm. Like the Bitcoin price right now, the way I look at it, it's just, it's, it's just kind of a, uh, an agreement between tether holders and Bitcoin holders. You know, there's not, and, and there's the new money that's coming in is just paying off the miners, right? That's yeah. a good way to think about it, right? Yeah, well, that's true. But you, you have $100 billion of tether that's sitting out there, well, tether and USDC and mainly, right? But you have $100 billion worth of stable coins that's sitting out there. And, uh, you know, you pair that with $800 billion worth of Bitcoin. 
right? And you've, of course, you get another $700 billion worth of other stuff, right? Yeah. And so, you know, the market can form without any new money coming in other than the money that's needed to pay the mining fees, right? Um, so we haven't had, and, and it's normal because, you know, who wants to put money into Bitcoin after Sam Bankman freight, right? Mm. After Terra Luna and everything. So we haven't had, and even this year, like, you know, I go to parties, you go to parties, and pe- people are not talking about Bitcoin. You know, oh, they're no. not. Oh, no. You know, it, it is not on people's radar, right? Yep. So it's going up despite it not being on anybody's radar, right? And, now, and, and to your point, I think, you know, I've met a number of people who actually lost a decent amount of money in BlockFi, Celsius, you know, trying to, to know. chase these crazy yields. In a way, the ETF should make them more comfortable that they don't have to deal. Well, there's there's a throat to choke, so to speak, um, with with Bitcoin holdings. So, you know, that might even bring back some of those that are really reticent to reengage to actually get some exposure as well. I think it's going to be new people. Hmm. You know, I think once you're burned, you're burned. Hmm. You know, hmm. unfortunately, that's kind of that seems to be the human. You know, it's sort of like that book Zero to One by Peter Thiel, you know. Yeah. It's like the best thing you can do is, uh, you know, is join a startup and sell it because you know how hard it is, but you know what's doable. But if you join a startup and it fails, you're then convinced that all startups fail. Yeah. And you're like, Start- <laughs> startups are bad. You know? yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I did my first startup when I was, you know, 1992 and, you know. It was fantastic. We sold it for twenty million bucks. You know, no VC. It's a good know. feeling. And uh, yeah, it was great. You know, so but it wasn't wasn't an easy sale, right? Yeah. So you know, after that, you know, you start going, okay, it's this is not, this is not that easy to redo, right? So you know how hard it is, mm-hmm. and I think, uh, you know, I think the the investment world. The people who have gotten burned by Celsius, by Three Arrows and all the rest, um, I don't think they're necessarily coming back. You know, but I do mm. think that there's uh, there's just a ton of institutional money, just you know your your money from your mom's portfolio. That's you know some manager somewhere is going to move a little bit of it into Bitcoin. So that money's coming, mm. um, and it's not going to be an all at once thing, but even if it's, you know, $30 billion the first year and $50 billion the second year and $100 billion the third year, right? I mean, these numbers are totally doable kind of in the, in the spectrum of the trillions of dollars mm. are, that are out there in the, you know, in the ETF world and the literally hundreds of trillions of dollars that are in the managed money world. Outside, because ETFs, Ten trillion dollar market, but that's even a, a fraction of the total managed uh, money. So, yep. you know, you don't have to be too smart to realize that there's this wall of money that cannot buy, for a lot of reasons, can't buy Bitcoin. You know, your advisor can't really advise you to buy Bitcoin right now. Mm-hmm. My mom has an advisor. You know, he's he. He the last thing he would do would be advise her to go. He doesn't. He, he's a Morgan Stanley. He can't sell her. You know, he's not going to sell her. By the way, a Bitcoin futures uh, ETF either, or mm-hmm. a Canadian ETF. So it's not going to do it, right? 
Yep. And I asked him, and I said, so what, you know, what would be, and he's like, well, who, who runs it? And I said, BlackRock. It was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, we're, a, com- yeah, it's fine. We're, we're comfortable with that name. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. That is the filter though. That, that you're, you're absolutely right. And, and I wouldn't hold you to this apart from the fact that no. you know, the podcast would be public. Um, what is, what is, what do you think, what's the prediction for Bitcoin? Um, you well, know, Michael I, Michael Saylor would say there is no, you know, it's going up forever. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not in his view. Uh, I mm. actually don't don't. So I think if I had to guess, right, I think we're going to have something more like the gold run. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if we had a great two years, a great three years, maybe a great six years, right? And then we actually have a bear market that might last mm. a, a decade. Oh, wow. Right. Really? Yeah. And so, you know, uh, do you know, do you follow or know Bob Lucas? Sure. Of course. Yeah. So that's something that Bob Lucas just posted on. It really resonated with me. And I, I've been sort of thinking the same thing. And what's going to cause the, that? Yeah. What's going to cause that decade? You're thinking at a macro level, everything's going to be squashed or. No. Oh. I think at a macro level, things are going to look more like they are now. But I just think. You know, we're in this unique spot where people are going to rediscover this asset, right? This ETF asset. Now, uh, in a year from now, that'll be, it'll still be new. I mean, it'll be like, this ETF outperformed all the other ETFs. Oh, maybe I should put more money in that ETF, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you don't really think about regulate The concepts... You're not going to be discussing regulation or anything else, right? Or lightning or anything. You're just going to be ETF A, ETF B, ETF C. Oh, mm-hmm. A outperformed. Great. Let's move more money into A, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's what's going to happen with in the first year or two. I think it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy that more and more and more money wants to get into this ETF. And it sort of happens to be coinciding with the happening cycle, right? That So I think... T- 2024 and 2025 could be great, right? Now, I'm not sure, you know, once you get two, three years of this, all of a sudden, you know, suppose we're right and, you know, we're, we're at some really high level. I'm saying something in the order of 500,000 to a million, mm-hmm. might be higher. Well, you know, you've kind of now, you've cut, that story has now been told, right? Mm-hmm. So now you have placed yourself three years in the future. Well, okay, Bitcoin's at five hundred thousand. It's actually down from seven hundred thousand to five hundred thousand. It's risky. Uh, the ETF everybody owns it. I mean, so what? You know, and uh, you know this AI, AI stuff has now really taken the new leap, and that's what we need to go for. Oh, okay, right? so shiny object. Um... I think we are, yeah, we're, we're in this phase right now where this is a new, new thing, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody, everybody's going to discover this. We know it, but mm-hmm. uh, we know it, but uh, the average American doesn't know it and, and doesn't hold it like we do. So you know, I think we could be in a, uh, you know, that, that phenomenon is going to happen. It's going to make everybody who, who, who's, gets involved soon and they don't have to front run the ETF. They can just buy the ETF. Yep. Right. I think, you know, the ETF will be a great investment. And, um, 
you know, and, you know, Michael Saylor will do fine, too, with his, you know, enormous stash of Bitcoin. But, you know, I don't think, why would I buy MSDR versus the ETF? I, you know, right, that's the I'm, question. I'm known, I'm known the ETF, you know. I own MSDR. Hmm. I own GBTC, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I'll, I will rotate out of my MSDR and rotate into the ETF. I will rotate out of my GDBTC and into the ETF. And I may put some more money into the ETF and then sell some of my non, you know, non, non-custodial Bitcoin. So that's kind of the way I'm sort of thinking about it. But I, it sort of doesn't really matter. I, I think anybody who thinks of anything more than a 10x is you're not thinking with your, your you know, it, it, you, you've now joined a cult. You know what I mean? Mm. And, uh, and I think this is, uh, this is the, this is the period when the cult sort of gets, uh, gets challenged. Right. So I think, you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people saw my post and they're like, this guy doesn't understand Bitcoin. This guy, like, trust me, I understand Bitcoin. I understand everything (laughs) about Bitcoin. I run two lightning nodes, (laughs) I built a Bitcoin wallet, you know. I hold a crap load of Bitcoin. I, I, I understand Bitcoin. Okay. I, I, I look, I, I'm with you there. <laughs> I am, uh, I'm a huge fan, obviously, of, of, yeah. of Bitcoin for, for a variety of reasons. However, um, the thing that trumps Bitcoin for me is free markets and freedom to choose. Um, and so isn't that what we're all looking for? Freedom. Right. At the end so of the day. I, family and freedom. Look, um, the key point is that it's not an either or. Right. It's not like you either have the ETF or you have non-custodial, you know, you know, the sovereign uh, individual type Bitcoin. You have mm-hmm. both, right? Mm-hmm. They both exist. And, you know, absolutely, if you're a Russian right now and you want to get money out of Russia, you know, buying Bitcoin makes a whole lot more sense than buying a yacht. Right. right? Because the yacht is so easy to steal, to seize, right? Mm. So if, if you're in Nigeria, you know, and you have somehow acquired some money, you know, Bitcoin is a great place to put that money, you know, yep. as a potentially as opposed to a Nigerian bank. Right. Or a Nigerian piece of property that somebody's going to seize, you know. And that's, you know, to Sailor's point, you know, if, you look at all the money that's in Africa and you sort of go, should some of that money be reallocated to Bitcoin? Uh, yeah, probably a whole lot of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that argument's really true. And so I think the, you know, I, I totally support the non-custodial use of Bitcoin in, 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 in that sense. Now, as for me, I, I don't need to use Bitcoin as a payment mechanism. You know, I have my credit cards. <laughs> I have Apple Pay. You know, I really do not need another payment mechanism. Yeah, I think but, it's it's to your point. I think you know yeah. what is the use case of of Bitcoin? If if you're in the U.S. and you're looking at annual, maybe decade or generational wealth transfer, you're looking at as a store value, predominantly investment store value. I think when you when you're dealing with hyperinflation or, or pre hyperinflationary environments, Argentina, Turkey, <clears throat> um, obviously Zimbabwe, um, you know, in the past, you're trying to escape your currency, and 
you can take 60% volatility with Bitcoin if the alternative option is either black market dollars or 130% inflation. Right. And it's not only inflation. It's not only inflation. It's just uh, authoritarian governments. Yes. Yep. Now, you know, I think you may have no inflation in China, Mm -hmm. but but you might even have deflation. But you run the risk that you say something or somehow, you know, you're on some list and then all of a sudden you can't access your funds anymore. Or you yep. can't access your property, right? So I think that's the thing, the the ability to move your money in a completely censorless uh, thing is yep. important. Yep. Now, I think that's important for most of the world, right? Because most of the world, you can't trust your government, you know? Yeah. I happen to trust the U.S., at least right now, right? I'm not saying it'll always be that way. <laughs> but, you know, people say, Fred, you know, BlackRock's going to rug pull you. No, BlackRock is not going to rug pull me, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's it not, that's not going to happen. Um, uh, so I trust the system, the legal system. I trust the financial system that we have that's built up. It, it works. I think it's very likely to continue to to work. I hope it mm-hmm. works. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, and, and, you know, listen, I pay my taxes. I'm, you know, I have accountants that they do all that stuff. So I have no interest in being outside the system. I'm fully in the system. Um, but I recognize, you know, that most of South America uh, do not agree. You know, they do not trust their government at all. You know, yeah. they, you know, most of Africa do not trust the government. Most of Eastern Europe, uh, not so great, you know. All, Russia, terrible. Uh, you know, India, who knows? You know, India might be great, might might not. But like, so you just take it on a country by country basis, and you know, you're like, yeah. I mean, the amount of money that the Russians should have invested in Bitcoin is just insane. It's just yeah. insane that they didn't. You know, they they missed that trade. Yeah, and many of them lost all their money. So. Yep. Absolutely. So, you know, so I think there's huge potential for Bitcoin as as it was intended, as Satoshi intended it. Um, Huge potential. I'm not trying to knock that at all. Right. But I am saying that the big driver of adoption right now is not going to be another El Salvador. You know, Uh, I by the way, I may go to Argentina as part of a kind of a convoy of bitcoiners to meet the president you we'll, know? we'll have to do a follow-up when you meet Malaya. Yeah, so, yeah 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 so you know um you know i so i'm you know i'm a proponent of these things but you know i i think that the it's it's going to be really hard to get lightning and non-custodial bitcoin at the nation state level see so, you know it's just this is this is a tough sell but this, what we're looking at here with 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 uh, the financial, that's not such a tough sell, you know. And uh, I saw this great great quote by uh, Bill, you know, Bill Miller, sure, of uh, Leg Mason, right? It's a pretty big Bitcoiner, a billionaire, and uh, you know he's he has two main investments, Bitcoin and Amazon, and uh, you know he. You know, he's he's sort of like, yeah, Bitcoin is rat poison. It's rat poison for cash, you know. <laughs> so, you know, I definitely think that, uh, you know, types starting with Bill Miller and his son, who's now running the, you know, 
the Bill Miller uh, fund. Yep. You know, I think there's Wall Street going to love Bitcoin. They love it. They're going to love it. They're going to love it. You know, I, 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 so, uh, I completely I couldn't agree more with you. I think they're just waiting for, like, as you say, those easy yeah. vehicles to, to be able to uh, yeah, I mean, to invest. Don't think that Wall Street is all I mean, it, it is literally Michael Douglas. Greed is good. Yeah, you know, that that's what Wall Street is. Right. And, uh, you know, at Solomon, basically, we were we'd fire. We would interview people. And if they were not greedy enough, we'd never bring them back for a second interview. Yeah. We wanted to get the most greedy people we could get, you know. That's that's what we look for, right? That's what we have to so, look forward to. All right. Well, listen, so, Fred, yeah. we are uh, – so. thank you so much for joining us, by the way. We are, uh, okay. we are at time. Um, Great, Keith. I really so, enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely loved uh, chatting with you. Great, great, interesting conversation. I'll look forward to seeing that uh, ETF get, uh, get let's seeded. Let's, and, let's pray. And, and, and pray that it continues to grow. So yeah. thanks again okay. for, for joining us and uh, look forward to keeping in touch. Okay. Thanks, Keith. Take Cheers. care. Bye. Learn more at learnbitcoin.io.